We find ourselves this morning looking at Sardis or the church at Sardis, and I have titled the church at Sardis, the broken church. It's the fifth out of the seven letters that Jesus penned to those seven churches in Asia Minor. Sardis found itself somewhat on the east side of that oval. If you were to look at a map of Asia Minor or you were to look at what we call Turkey today, in biblical times there were those seven churches, an oval in the northwest quadrant of Asia Minor that Jesus wrote a letter to. Sardis was a beautiful city. Sardis was known for being a city that was very hard to penetrate as an army or as an empire. Three sides of Sardis found themselves on cliffs some 1,500 feet from the valley floor, and only to the south was the valley or an entranceway to the city. Two times in Sardis's history, they thought that everything was fine when they went to bed that night. Two times in Sardis's history, one by one, Persian soldiers, and then after that, Greece soldiers, some 400 years after the fact, scaled the heights of the cliffs one after another after another into this city. Jesus wrote to his church at Sardis, and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, it, it's, it's a tough letter. Uh, you might have thought that last Sunday's sermon was tough. This one's going to be tough as well. Um, it is a, uh, a letter that cries out for its church, its recipients, its men and women to come back to God. We've seen the careless church, we've seen the persecuted church at Smyrna, we've seen the compromising church with Pergamum, the corrupt church at Thyatira, and now we see a broken church. We are now five letters in. Let me read the six verses out of Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. Let's see what Jesus has to say to his church. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write the words of him who has the seven spirits of God. Who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Wake up. Strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. Remember then what you received and heard. Keep it and repent. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. Verse 4. Yet... You still have a few names in Sardis, people who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, 
for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments, and I will never blot his name out of the book of life. I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Let's pray. Father, this is a harsh word to your people. Father, this is a wake-up call to your church. Just as it has already been prayed this morning, Lord, may it not be that we would the church here this morning, Riverbend Church, that we would not be a church who thinks themselves alive, yet you see us as dead. Father, may that never be the case. Father, may we, your people, your sons and your daughters, may we honor and glorify and magnify our King, you, with every word that we say, Father, with every action that we take part in, Father, with every thought that comes across the gray matter of our minds, might it be words and actions and thoughts that bring you glory. For you're worthy of that. Father, this morning I pray that as we look at this letter, God, in all of its weight, in all of its, its harsh words that you are speaking, Father, might we be reminded, just as you stayed, as Jesus, as you identify yourself, you identify yourself first. May we be reminded of all your attributes, that you not only are the one who has the sharp, two-edged sword ready to come out of your mouth, but you're also, as we sang this morning, you are a lamb. You are one who forgives. You are one who desires for us, for me, to come back to you. And you speak these words this morning, Lord, in that tone, warning, pleading for your church to wake up. God, would you speak this morning? Would you speak in such a way that every individual in this place knows you are God. Knows that you are on your throne and that you rule and reign in all splendor and majesty and power and might. Father, would you speak in such a way that they know that you love them. That you desire for them to be close to you. That you have given the greatest gift ever to them. To us. Your son Jesus. We ask it in his name, in Jesus' name. Amen. As we walk through the uh, letter this morning, a letter that Jesus wrote to a group of believers, a group of people who have stated with their tongues and with their lives, hey, we bowed the knee. We're yours. You are our king. As we walk through this letter that Jesus wrote to his followers at Sardis. Three keys 
come up. The first is this. Uh, I need you to see the facts. The facts of this letter are hard to take. The facts of this letter show you and show me, show the, the readers, the recipients of this letter. It shows us that there is this descending aspect to all the letters. We started with Ephesus and we're going to work our way all the way to Laodicea, the Lord willing. And as we go, sure there are a couple of upticks on that descending staircase of these seven letters, but this is not one of them. In a couple of weeks from now, we will find ourselves at Laodicea and Jesus states, I'm not trying to get ahead of myself, but he states to the church at Laodicea, you know what, I really just want to vomit you out of my mouth. Not a good statement to be characterized if you're a part of that church. Some would say that's the harshest of the letters, that Jesus is just fed up with that church, but I might argue that this one is just as harsh. It is a hard letter. And you and I need to see the facts, and I want to pull out seven of these facts for us very briefly as we walk through this letter. You'll see the verses on the screen as I talk about each one of these facts. The first being this, that Jesus identifies himself. He's identified himself in all the previous letters. He's going to identify himself in the next two, but here he identifies himself as the one who has the seven spirits of God, and also the seven stars. Uh, the seven spirits of God. If you look back in chapter 1 of Revelation, we see that that term was given. There in the first part of the chapter, he says this in verse number 4. John, to the seven churches that are in Asia. So he's, he's opening that up. We looked at that a few weeks ago. Grace to you and peace from Him, speaking of Jesus, who is, who was, and who is to come. And from the seven spirits who are before His throne. And from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead and the ruler of kings of the earth. Here, John, in chapter 3, Jesus um, tells John to record this statement. I am the one, these words are from me, the one who has the seven spirits of God. Now this has been a huge argument throughout church history. Was there one spirit or was there seven spirits? Was there one or was there many? Was there one spirit? Because in numerous places in the New Testament, it is spoken of as one spirit. And here Jesus said, I'm the one who's got seven spirits. Well, you, need, you and I need to understand this picture language that Jesus wants his church at Sardis and he wants River Bend Church to understand as well. And it is this, that the number seven is a number of complete maturity, perfection. The number six is the number of man. The number seven is the number of God. And it is the full spirit, the mature, the perfect, complete spirit of God that Jesus is speaking to His church at Sardis about. I'm the one who has that spirit. All the spirit of God. I'm also the one who has the seven stars. Who are the seven stars? They are the 
there at the end of chapter 1. They are the messengers or the preachers of these churches. And he says, I've got him. I've got them right there with me. And then he says this. So not only do we see that Jesus identifies himself, but the second, he says, I know your works. I know your works. And I I added that, you know what, those works, they're really not that good. This is not an uplifting letter. This is not an easy letter that we just want to put kisses on it and fold it up and put it close to us and carry it around with us. No, we want to try to distance ourselves as far away from this letter as we possibly can. But Jesus says this, I know your works. And as a part of knowing their works, he says, um, you have this reputation, a third aspect of these facts that are given. You have a reputation for life, but uh, of being alive, but you are dead. To the angel of the church at Sardis, the words states of him who has the seven spirits and the seven stars, I know your works. You have the reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Let's personalize it for a second. Okay? Let's personalize it for a second. One that you state you're dear to. One that you state you love. One that you state I have given you everything. Write you a letter. And in that letter, they say to you, you know what? Um, Hey, Brian... You have this reputation of being alive, but you're dead. Hey, you you put your name there. You have this reputation of being alive, but you are dead. Mm. How does that make you feel? That makes you feel all warm and fuzzy on the inside? I sure am glad that they wrote me a letter. I sure am glad that they penned me a special letter because they are stating to me one of my flaws. I told you on the, in the introduction about Sardis and in its history, it was a city that thought itself strong and mighty, thought itself alive, thought itself impenetrable thought itself as one that could stand out by itself and needing nobody else's help. Sardis loved itself. Sardis didn't want anybody's help. Even when trouble came, they thought they could do it all on their own. Remind you of anybody? You have this reputation, Sardis, of all the cities around you, of all the area and the region that you find yourself in. You have this reputation that you are alive, but you are dead. That letter was not written to River Bend. But just think. 
I'm the pastor of Sardis. We're sitting down and we are listening to this letter the first time. We are grateful that somebody has written us. A, our leader, Jesus, has written us. And this letter was circulated and we open it up and we are all on the front of our seats. We're leaning in to listen to this letter and he says to us, Hey, you have this reputation of being alive, but I see through it. I see through the motions that you're going about every single day. I see through all that because your reputation of being alive, it's just it. It's a reputation. You are dead. Period. End of sentence. That is a hard sentence to take. He knows our works. Another fact of this letter, we find ourselves that it, he's got some words of action for us. And those words of action, these at first are negative. Okay? They're in verse number 2, he states this. Wake up. Wake up. And strengthen what remains and is about to die. For I have not found your works complete in the sight of my God. The negative words of action for you and for me possibly today, definitely for the church at Sardis, was this. you got to wake up. Hey, Sardis, you have to wake up. You're sleeping. You're slumbering. As we saw last week, there was a church that had a small minority that was following the ways of Jezebel. They were following the, the teachings of Balaam. And the majority was just sitting back and allowing them to do it. And Jesus spoke to the majority and said, hey, that has to stop in the church. The majority of the church last week Pergamum, who was compromising, the majority of the church, everything was fine. But they were allowing this small minority to rule and to exert this false teaching. That's not the case in Sardis. The vast majority of the church is what Jesus says, they're dead or they are asleep. Reminded me of a story in the Gospels. The story of Jesus and Jairus' daughter. It's written a couple of times in the Gospels, recorded for us a couple of times. Once in Matthew and once in Luke, I believe. And in that passage in Matthew, he says, hey, he's on his way. Dad has already asked Jesus to come. There's a woman who stops him by touching the hem of his garment and the issue of blood that had been flowing for 12 years stops miraculously. She wanted to be off in the distance to just go unnoticed, but Jesus brings her out to the open and says, nope, nope, somebody, whoop, we got to stop. And then the whole whore just stops. He's like, somebody touched me. Who was it? And I'm just interjecting my thought, but Peter's like, hey, Jesus, I don't know if you know this, but this is a small street and there's a huge crowd. There's a ton of people that touched you. He said, no, power left me. Who touched me? 
And the lady who wanted to be back in the background raised her hand and said, I did. He said, your faith healed you. As they were stopped and as he was talking to her, some of the servants of Jairus comes and said, your daughter's dead. And Jesus said, nope, you have faith, only believe. And he gets there and this guy who came out in public for his daughter to be saved, for his daughter to be healed, Jesus says, all right, everybody get out of the house except mom and dad, Peter, James, and John, you coming to me and let's close up into this room and here's what's going to happen. Uh, but she's already dead. No, she's not. She's just sleeping. She's just sleeping. Hey, little girl, wake up. Was she dead? Yes. Yes, she was. Physically, she was dead. But does Jesus have power over death? Yes, he does. And in those words, little girl, wake up, he gets her to wake up. He brings her back to life. Here in this passage in Revelation chapter 3, the facts that are hard are these. Wake up. Church, you have died. That is an oxymoron, but it is occurring right here in Revelation chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. At Sardis, there is this church. The church of the living God is dead, and he is pleading with them. To wake up. Also in those words that are negative. He says to them to strengthen what remains. And to strengthen what is about to die. The Greek term that is used in that word or in that phrase of strengthen is this. That they were to establish the things that they had remaining. Get your, get your life in order, Sardis. There are some things that you need to wake up on. There are some items that you're dead. We understand that. But there's also some things that are in your life right now, Sardis, as individuals and as a church. There are some things that are there. You need to establish those. You need to keep watch on those because they're about to die. And you're about to be in a worse state than you were in before this letter started. So the words of action that are negative are found in this passage. But there's also some facts here about some words of action that are positive. Remember then what you received, verse 3 states. Remember then also what you have heard. Keep it. And repent. Words of action that are positive. Remember, keep, and repent. We'll come back to those at the end this morning. If you will not wake up, I will come like a thief. And you will not know at what hour I will come against you. What a harsh end to a sentence. The Lord of the church... The Lord of the church at Sardis says if you don't wake up, if you don't strengthen and establish what is there and about to die, if you don't remember what you have received, if you don't remember what you've heard, you don't keep it, you don't repent, I'm going to come like a thief 
you will not know the hour that I come against you. Against you. Not that I come for you, but that I come against you. Words of action that are negative, words of action that are positive. Some more facts. Verse number four. Yet, there's some hope. You have still a few names in Sardis. People who have not soiled their garments, and they will walk with me in white, for they are worthy. The one who conquers will be clothed thus in white garments. Verse 5 states, And I will never blot his name out of the book of life. Two facts. One, that there is hope because there are few that are still alive. There is hope because there are few that have not soiled their garments. There is hope because there are a few who have not followed the ways of the world. There is hope because there's a few in the church here at Sardis who are awake. Then a sixth fact was this, that their names are in the book of life. Or a final fact is that their names are in a book of life. And I will never blot His name out of the book of life. To understand the book of life, you've got to go back to Exodus. You've got to go back to Numbers, the Old Testament. A couple of times in Psalms, once in Isaiah. And a few times in this book, the book of Revelation, we see the book of life. What is it? It is a list a whole book that is written of every single person that has ever bowed the knee, ever will bow the knee, that Jesus Christ is Lord and Savior of their lives. Every single person, from Adam all the way to the end when Jesus returns, every single person is found in that book. Those that have believed, those that have accepted Him as Savior and Lord. And Jesus says, for those people, I will never blot his or her name out of the book. Those who are clothed in white. Those who conquer. Those who remain. Those who are saved. They will not be blotted out of the book of life. He closes this letter. He says, I will confess that person's name. I will confess that person's name before my Father and before His angels. And he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Those are the facts of the letter. Kind of a hard letter, right? Let me tell you a story, a gospel story. second key this morning, a gospel story to try to understand this letter. The gospel story that describes this is found in Luke's gospel, I believe. And you'll see the verses on the screen there. Let me read the uh, verses out of Luke chapter 18. It says this, Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. Stop there for a second. Y'all see... There's a resemblance between the letter at Sardis and the church. They thought that they were alive, but they were dead. They thought that they were like this Pharisee, they, that he was, everything was okay. 
Everything was going great. God, I'm so thankful that I'm not like an extortioner. Lord, I'm thankful that I'm not like a tax collector. Lord, I'm thankful I'm not, I'm not like that guy up there. He thought everything was okay. But he was wrong. I fast twice a week. Everything's all right. I give tithes of all that I get. Man, I'm, I'm, when, the plate, when the plate is passed, I've got something in it. Everything is okay, Lord, right? But the tax collector, standing off afar, the tax collector wouldn't even lift his eyes up to heaven, but he beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, sinner. Jesus says this, I tell you, this man, not the Pharisee, but the tax collector, not the one that, that the whole culture thought was okay, the one that the whole culture thought was atrocious and terrible, that man, he went down to his house justified. Rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. That's the story. That's the essence that is going on right here with Sardis. They thought that they were okay. They thought everything was great, and on the outside it might have been. But everything on the inside was decaying, Everything on the inside had the stench of death because it was dead. River Bend, I pray that that would never be the case here. That until Jesus comes back, that this place, that you and I would be salt and light, that you and I would not ever receive a letter like this one with our names attached to it. The only way that that will come about is the third key. There are some action steps for today. I take you back to verse number three. It states this, remember then what you received. Remember then what you heard. Keep it and repent. What have they received? What have you received? What have you and I received as a son or a daughter of the King? As a son or a daughter of our Messiah? As a son or a daughter of the Anointed One, the Christ? They had received Him. They had received the One who held the seven spirits and the seven stars and the seven lampstands. They had received the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler of kings on the earth. They had received the one who loved them and freed them from their sins by His blood. They had received the one who was coming with the clouds. They had received the Alpha and the Omega who was and is and is to come. They had received the Almighty One. 
They had received the one who said, I am the first and the last, the living one, the one that he stated, I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. I have the keys of death and Hades. They had received the one who said that he was the one who had the sharp two-edged sword who was coming out of his mouth. The one whose eyes were like flames of fire and his feet like the burnished bronze. The one who was robed in white, in splendor. That's what they had received. And that's what you and I have received. For those of us who know Him. And then He says, not just to remember it, but to keep it. To keep it where? To keep it at the forefront. To keep it as the focus of your life and of the life of the church. Then He says, One word. Repent. You and I see that word as a as a church word. Repent. And that's what it's come to come to be known as. Repent. It's it's a word that is mainly used, and if not only used, inside the walls of of a church. But that's not how it was meant when it was written. When that word was written for the folks at Sardis, in that culture, in that understanding, and knowing what they knew and what you and I need to know, it was a military word. It was a word for a whole army that was going in this direction to understand that there was a command and they were to stop going in this direction and they were to go in the opposite direction. They weren't to turn just a little bit, like 45 degrees or even 90 degrees. No, they were to turn 180 degrees because what they were going toward, the direction that they were going toward, was utter destruction. And the whole army understood the command was to go in the total opposite direction. So that they would no longer be in harm's way. And there is a number of us this morning. There's a number of us this morning who find themselves walking, if not running, if not speeding, to utter destruction. Utter destruction of a life. What's worse, utter destruction for all eternity. And he cries out to you and he cries out to me just as he did to this church and says, repent. Repent. Don't go in that direction anymore because that is destruction, Brian. Stop those thoughts that you have because those thoughts bring destruction, Brian. Stop those words that you are having and that you are speaking in your mind or out of your mouth. Stop them because all they do is bring destruction. Stop that action and that movement that you are going on because all that is doing, Brian, is bringing destruction. And turn and go this way. And have thoughts about me because I am the first and the last. The one who was and is and is to come. Have those thoughts about me because I am the one who died and am forevermore living. Brian, repent. Sir, this morning as you sit in this building, repent. Ma'am, as you are here today, 
students for the first time, if not for this time. Repent. And if you do that, His Word states that He will come. His Word states that He will never blot you out. His Word states that you will wear white. That you will have a victor's crown. The crown of Nike. Nikeo is the Word. And you will be there with Him forever and ever and ever. Is it a harsh letter? Depends on if you repent. Depends on if you repent. Because it's a glorious letter if you do. It is a great letter knowing that the one who died, the one who rose from the dead, the one who is sitting at the side of his father, who is waiting earnestly to hear his father say, son, go get my children. He conquered death for you. He paid the price by his blood for all your sin. And yeah, it's a lot. He paid for you. He paid for you. He paid for me. So that we might be His. Heavenly Father, I come. God, I thank You for this letter. Lord, it's not an easy one. Not necessarily a fun one to preach. But Father, it is a great letter for those of us who are yours, for those of us who are awake, for those of us even who are yours and have fallen asleep. God, you desire us to come back to you. God, you desire me to come back to you. Lord, there have been a number of songs that we sang this morning. Songs that lifted your name high because you're worthy of that. Songs that ascribed to you characteristics or attributes of who you are. And God, maybe, maybe we sang those this morning because we've sung them all before. Because we've known them. Because we've, we've heard them on the radio. And Father, they didn't impact us this morning. Father, I pray that as we sing this song, as we come to this time, a time that we can come back to you, that we can repent, God, that you would draw us to yourself. Because unless you do that, we labor in vain. Unless you build your church, it is yours. God, we labor in vain. Sir, ma'am, this morning, the response time is for you to come back, for you to repent, for you to stop the action, the words, the, the thoughts, the activities of this world. That's been time enough. And if you're his, if you're a son or a daughter of the king, it's time for you to wake up and come back to him and repent. If you're not His, and He is convicting you of your sin this morning, don't leave this room without bowing the knee, without confessing with your mouth that He is your Lord.
Because that is his desire. His desire is for you to know him. And for you to love him. And here's an opportunity for you to do just that. I'm going to stand up here at the front. It's always open for you to come and pray. It's always open for you to stay right where you are and pray. But just get along with him as we sing. It is a time for you to respond. Lord, we ask it in Christ's name.